following a group of 10 young people in a series of facilitated workshops on issues relating to the climate crisis and the challenges we all face. There is no planet B. This is a journey through the climate crisis on KCLR. If burning fossil fuels was so bad that it threatened our very existence, how could we just continue like before? A journey through the climate crisis is funded by commissioning a man with a television license fee. Hello and welcome back to A Journey Through the Climate Crisis. We are on episode 7. We are absolutely flying through the weeks. But you know what? Time flies when you're having fun, as they say. And we are surely doing just that. I'm Shannon Redmond. I'm your guide throughout this journey. I'm going on this journey with you and with the group from Osser Youth as we're learning all we need to know about climate change. Now, in this week's episode, we've gone a little rogue. We have decided to take the show on the road. Where to, you might ask? You'll find out just a little bit later. As well as that, we're going to be having a great chat with Anna Sheen and learning all about the circular economy. If you want to get in touch, let us know your comments and your thoughts. 083 306 9696 is the number to do just that. Now, before we all get on the bus and hit the road, it's time to check in with last week's homework. Hello everyone, um, really exciting day today. We're going to be going on a tour out of the studio to Powerstown Landfill in Carlo for a tour and um, we're going to be showing around how how the waste is is managed in Powerstown. But before we do that, we're just going to check in with our homework from last week. Um, how did everyone get get on with um, finding three simple ways to eliminate food waste in their homes? Hello Ruth. Um, well, in my own home, we started composting a little while back actually. And so we've been working on that. And I have to say, it has actually reduced both the weight of the waste bin and the amount of money we're actually paying for a bin collection. So that's been quite helpful. Um in addition to that, we've also been uh, rigidly adhering to the list, I suppose, when it comes to shopping. So we, you know, have what we want to get on the list and then we don't deviate from the list. So, so far, that's been working out. And uh, lastly, we have set up a bit of a plan towards what we'll be making throughout the week so that we know exactly what to buy for that. So we're just planning our meals, essentially. And so far, it seems to be working. That's fantastic. So everyone is on board in your house and, and playing their part. So my family, we've, uh, since I, there's several picky eaters in my family, we've, they, we have said what we do and don't eat. So we don't, uh, so we don't buy, say like, uh, lots of lamb and then like only two of us will eat it and the rest have to eat only potatoes. Uh, and then we've also, like, whenever we have any like scraps of chicken, we usually give them to the dogs as like a small treat, and also to like train, and also to train them a little bit. We're also uh, just say, like, or what I do is since I have some ant colonies, uh, whenever I have some waste, uh, some of their waste and food. I give that to the largest ant colony so I don't have to throw that out. We've also found ourselves um, using the leftovers from Sunday dinner um, to add to a bit of the, mon- you know, what we eat for dinner on Monday. 
And we also haven't really been going grocery shopping hungry. We do that to make sure that we won't buy any extras. Yes, as Ruth said, we are on the road to Powerstown Civic Community Site in Carlow. Very, very exciting. And it's a nice to get out of the office every now and then. We're going to have a tour of the site and learn a bit about how you can recycle properly and how you can get rid of your waste effectively. Mary Walsh of Powerstown Civic Community Site is going to tell us all the information we need to know, starting with the history of the site. You I suppose this site, giving you a little bit of history, this site in Powerstown as a landfill originated back in the 1970s. So landfilling and waste management has been running at this site since early in the 1970s. Um, The site operated as a landfill from the 70s right up until 2018. And at this stage, there's just under 1 million tonnes of waste landfilled here in Powerstown. So as we walk down across the yard, I'll point out some of the areas where we would have been previously as a landfill and that's covered with waste now at the moment. Our facility at the moment now is a civic amenity site and we serve the general public and local businesses for their waste and their recycling requirements. So what we'll do this morning is we'll take a walk through of what we do here. Um, I'll show you all the different kinds of material that you can bring as recyclable material and as rubbish and I'll I'll do my best to explain to you as we go around what happens to each of those materials as they're taken from here and go through the recycling process off-site from here. So we'll take a walk down and, and feel free to ask questions as we go and, and have a chat as we go around. Okay, thanks guys. The Powerstown Civic Community Site don't just help the climate with the work they do, they also help people in need with some great initiatives they have running. Let's hear a little bit more about those. Yeah, so the next part here is our textile recycling area. Um, our textiles in from this site and a couple of sites around the county are taken by a company called Liberty Recycling up in Dublin. Um, I partnered with Liberty a couple of years ago. They do great work with rehabilitation for people who have um, addictions to maybe drink or drugs. Um, they have a whole treatment centre, a whole... A whole um, training centre and they train train people, give them a qualification and give them the chance to adapt their lives and come back um, trained back into society with the chance of getting work and, and having a good a good future or good prospects. So they're a great company to work with. They service our banks here every week. Um, textiles textiles probably amount to between 20 and 30 tonnes so by the end of the year in regards to how much textiles we'd recycle. So it's very worthwhile. Clothes, blankets, anything like that that can be reused. Some of them will stay in the country, some of them will go out of the country to underdeveloped and third world countries. So that's where, where your textiles go. Just behind you there, um, you'll see Bikes for Africa. 
So that's a project that's sponsored by um, Werla, by it's sponsored under anti-dumping initiatives. You'll see those kind of drop-off centres in a number of civic amenity sites around the country. Um, the bikes we take in, any bike with more a 24-inch wheel or bigger. Um, it doesn't matter if it's punctured, if the brakes aren't working or the gears. What happens is we take it here. They go from here to a couple of training centres. One of the training centres is down in Shelton Abbey and the inmates in Shelton Abbey receive training and a qualification in the refurbishment of bikes. So the bikes go from here to Shelton Abbey. They get fixed up, made as good as they can be made for um, to be reused and they're then shipped out to the Gambia and children in the Gambia use the bikes then to get to school. It's a great, um, it's a, it's a great system to enhance children and give them the opportunity of going to school. Often out there in the Gambia, children have to walk 10 or 15 kilometres of a round trip to get to and from school. And obviously in the heat, there's a good chance they're not going to go to school if that's the distance that they have to walk in, in the hot weather and in the heat. So by giving them a bike, it really furthers their opportunity of getting an education and getting the chance to go to school. So that's, that's what happens here. We've sent just under 400 bikes to the Gambia in the last two years. And it's all down to the general public just clearing out sheds or gathering up what's at home and what's not being used and bringing it here to us. So it's a great project to be involved in. Now we're going to move on to something very exciting and something that's relatively new to Powerstown Civic Amenity Site. And as a matter of fact, they're the first to have so. It is the Access for All site. I'll let Mary tell you a bit more. So this little area of our site is something we developed last year. Um, Again, we got sponsorship for it through Werla um, in the southern region and we called the project Access for All. Our aim um, at the time was to make the site fully accessible for wheelchair users and people with disabilities. Um, in doing that then, when we started into doing that, we kind of decided, well, if we're targeting wheelchair users, it's also going to benefit children. And we also thought for people, maybe older people, who mightn't be as so strong and have to lift things over their heads, it was ideal for those as well. So that's why we ended up calling it Access for All. The, we worked in, in collaboration with the Irish Wheelchair Association, the National Council for the Blind. Um, the... Beam services down in Bagnallstown um, and obviously the EPA and Werla as well. So we we launched it last year. It's been very popular. We we done the branding as well. Um, the National Council for the Blind were out a couple of times and one of the things they said to me before this before we started into this project was just standing on our yard looking around he said to me our yard is very bland looking and for a person with visual impairment it's very hard to see what should go into each receptacle because it's all kind of blues and greys and dark greens so we we decided we'd, we'd make the visual impact as good as we could for people with visual impairments as well and that's why there's such contrasting colours on it. Um, through advice and consultation with the NCBI we, we came up with the design. So 
it's it's been very popular it's it's been very popular with older people with children children couldn't use our site properly which kind of we used to be looking here at kids coming with their parents and their grandparents and they actually had to be lifted up to the receptacles and we thought well we need to do something children are learning about this in school all the time and recycling is so important and they're coming to a, a purpose made recycling facility and they can't actually do their recycling properly so it's yeah it's access for all it suits everybody we were nominated we were shortlisted for an award for it last year which was nice um, after having put in such work into it and it's great to see people using it we have buses coming from beam services the delta center came out and some children from St. Lazarians inside in Carlo came out on our launch day to help us launch it so it's nice to it's nice, look we have to be inclusive, um, we have to reach out to all aspects and, and all communities and that's the idea then with the pictures as well is so that people who might have learning difficulties or who might have a language barrier can tell by the pictures where what needs to go into each receptacle so that's just up here along this end so it covers most of of most of what you would have to walk all around our yard generally to do can be covered in this little corner and obviously for a person who maybe is walking on a crutch or who is in a wheelchair or who who isn't very mobile just being able to do it all in such a small, a small space is ideal so we can take paper cardboard plastics tetra pack and we also have one of each of the bottle banks for the different kinds of glass and we can take textiles and small electrical items in, in this section as well. Are you ever confused on where things around your house can go when you no longer need them? You no longer have any more use for them but want to dispose of them properly? Well, Mary has all the correct answers for you. Um, inside in the shed is where we take most of our small hazardous household material. So things like light bulbs and batteries, that's all taken over at this side. So we'll go in there and I'll show you what's what's happening in there. Morning. How are you doing? This is John. John manages the recycling side of it here for us. He's been eagerly awaiting your arrival. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is our, I suppose, hazardous household waste section. Um, some of what's in here mightn't all be household, but it's where all that kind of material comes on site. It has to be kept in, it has to be kept dry. So I suppose from the door in, we start with oil filters. If you're into servicing your own car at home, obviously you'll have things like oil filters, waste engine oil. So they can come here. The waste engine oil is taken from here and Enva take it to their site over in Leash and it's cleaned and it's refined and it's used as a fuel again after the process. We take waste cooking oil. People actually often don't realise that their cooking oil is recyclable. So if you have a deep fat fryer at home or even a simple thing of doing your Sunday roast and there's that much oil in the bottom of your dish, if what I tend to do at home is I pour it into glass jars and bring it here then into the waste cooking aisle. That's taken from here, it goes to a site in County Wexford and again it's cleaned and it's refined and they use it as fuel for some of their vehicles. So they're running their vehicles on, on waste cooking aisle which is a great great system, it's a, it's a great process to be able to, to be part of. Um, 
You'll be familiar then with all your household batteries. These are what we call industrial batteries. So they're the kind of batteries mainly that you'd see farmers using for electric fences and things. They have a lifespan of, I think it's only about two months, is it, Jesse? Yeah. 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 So this fills up very, very quickly um, and regularly with those kind of batteries. Then we have car batteries. Car batteries, again, um, are taken from here by Enva. There's, there's lots of different um, metals and components in those that are hazardous but are also recyclable. So they're taken from here and they go through the Enva's sorting system and they go out of the country actually to be fully um, processed and recycled. We have fluorescent light bulbs. We also have household, just the smaller LED lamps and, and light bulbs just outside the door. The fluorescent light bulbs have to be handled carefully because when they break, there's um, mercury vapour inside in them. So they have to be treated under controlled conditions because mercury is such a hazardous substance. They go from here to a special treatment plant over in Atai in County Kildare, where the vapory make the vapour mercury is extracted and then the glass obviously can go for recycling and the smaller metal component parts. Um, JC set up our little mini library here. We used to see people coming with obviously books and everything going into the paper bank and when once they go into the paper bank well, they're going to be processed and sent for repulping and to be made into more paper. But obviously, if you buy a book today and you've read it by the end of the week, well, it's not old. It doesn't really need to be thrown out. So this prove has proved to be very popular with customers. They love to come. They'll come, JC, and stand and look and see oh, what's yeah. there and have a route, won't they? Swap, yeah. Yeah. Swap yeah. They'll leave a few and they'll take a few. And... Customers have got used to it now. They'll they'll come and they'll they they tend to come when they need a new book now. They'll work their recycling around the fact that they might need a few new books. So it's very popular. Um, they'll they'll even be asking JC what's on your bookshelf or is there anything new there and and he'll kind of say yes yeah, or go in and have a look or whatever. So. Um, yeah, we we told the library inside in town that uh, <laughs> their days are numbered. <laughs> um, just beside it here, then you'll see polystyrene. So polystyrene, as you've all seen over the years, is big and it's bulky. And really, if you get a new washing machine tomorrow what polystyrene is around it will fill your recycling bin and a lot of the contractors don't actually want it in the recycling bin because they don't have the proper way of handling it it's very um, it's a very hazardous material when it gets out into the environment because it breaks up so small the little small beads it's impossible to gather it once it gets broken in the environment and once it gets into streams and rivers it's impossible to get it back over. So we take it here. What John was doing just as we walked in was he was putting it into this machine. It's crushed and compacted, and it comes out as a crushed material. 
and just beside you there he'll stack it up on pallets and when we have a pallet full or two pallet fulls we'll ring our supplier and he'll come and take it away and what happens with it is it's shipped from Ireland back out to it's either Sweden or Norway I'm not sure which one um, and it's used as raw material to make more polystyrene so it's fully recycled it's uh, the machines aren't in a lot of recycling centres and it is a problem waste type um, for the last few years and once it gets airborne that's it, goodbye, it's gone you won't gather it because the beads are so small so it's a great system it's a great process to have it's popular with people as well because they're not going to fill up the rubbish bin with their bits of polystyrene, they can bring it here with the recycling and still have, have space at home if they do have bins to put the rubbish in so that's where that goes. Fills up quickly, doesn't it, Jesse? Yeah. yeah. He might have that empty today and by tomorrow afternoon it could be full again. So it's a full-time job trying to keep it managed. But, yeah, it's worthwhile from an environmental point of view. It's definitely worthwhile having it here. Paristown Civic Community Site really want to ensure that they're doing every single thing they can to ensure the climate and the world is looked after. So a big part of their job is to give back to nature. Let's hear just how they do that. Um, our site, when we closed our site in 2018 and we, we were capped and fully lined, we, we decided, we made a decision in those years that we were going to try and give our site back to nature. Um, I mentioned to you it's a 60 acre site, about 40 acres under waste. So it's a big area. It's a big area for nature. It's a big area for animals maybe not to have been able to make homes or to have been able to use over the years. We would have had scavenging birds and those kind of things. But since we've given our site back to nature, there's a huge amount of wild animals visible on the site. Um, I got Bird, Carlo Birdwatch to come in about three years ago and one of their guys spent about two hours on site one summer's afternoon and he identified over 30 species of birds on the site. We have meadow larks for the last few years nesting in the hills down there and flying over the site every day so it's nice to have been able to do that we have carlo beekeepers in on site now as well and they have their apiary on site um, at the height of the season there's probably over 500,000 bees on site in, in the middle of the summer so they're delighted to be in partnership with us because they now have a facility where they can bring tours they use it as a training facility and they use it as their base to develop their their bees and to set up new apiaries around the county so it's nice to have been able to do that after 50 years of landfilling and we all have heard the whole not in my backyard and I wouldn't like to live beside a landfill and have you driven past it lately and the smell of it and there's so much negativity about around landfills and around waste it's nice to be able to do something nice and to give it back to nature and to see all those things developing over the years we planted ourselves with local wildflowers so in summertime we have a whole array of wildflowers on top of our cells that can be seen from the main road. Now you just heard snippets of the day out we had and if you want to catch the full tour of the Powerstown Civic Community site you can do that on the KCLR website. It is up there in full for you to listen to. But the day is not over for us just yet because we do have one more very important chat to have. Back at base, the group meet Anna Sheen from the Ellen McCarthy 
Charity Foundation and Refunk. Here is where we're going to hear all about the circular economy, how we can reuse things, but make it a bit fun. Okay, everyone, we'd like to welcome Anna Sheehan here with us today, who's going to be talking about the whole area of circular economy. And Anna works with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, uh, which was founded by the record-breaking Round the World's Yachtswoman. Um, and this foundation is accelerating the transition to the circular economy. And Anna also um, co-founded the business Refunk, and we're really looking forward to hearing all about that. So it's a business where people can sell, shop or upcycle um, which once was items that maybe were no longer needed or loved and now you can actually call them fashion. We're going to head over to Anna now to find out all about what she does. Hi everyone, thanks for having me here today. Um, so yeah, my name is Anna. I'm originally from Kilkenny and went to school in Canises and Loretto here. Yeah, we've got some Canises people. <laughs> um, and I went to college in UCD where I studied business and German and then went worked in consulting for a little while, went back and did a master's in marketing. And then that was where I really got into the whole, I studied a lot about sustainability and the environment and yeah, really started to get interested in that space. And that was when I founded the business. And then straight from graduating from that, I got this job in the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So I've been working there for a year and a half now over in the UK. Um, so yeah, to give you a bit of a idea of what it's all about, has anyone heard of the circular economy before? I have indeed. Do you want to try make a stab at explaining it? Well, <laughs> don't worry if it's. <laughs> I can try. Uh, I'll I'll try and be very reductive about it and keep it very simple. But as I understand it, essentially, instead of just say making a product, say I don't know a T-shirt and then throwing it away or whatever, you reuse it and you recycle it and all of that so that there's essentially no waste. So then you try and scale that up to the entire economy. Of course, that's very difficult to do, but well, that's why we have things like Refunk. Exactly. That is a very good explanation. I, I wasn't expecting that when you, I came in and you said, I know nothing. <laughs> um, so I'm very impressed. <laughs> but yeah, essentially what Matthew has just described hits the nail on the head um, but maybe if I start giving a bit of a background about like what the foundation is and how that came about so Ellen MacArthur is a famous sailor and she was doing this trip around the world she was the first person to ever circumnavigate the globe on her own when she was only 19 so she did this trip and as you can imagine, was had a lot of time on her own to think, was out on this boat on her own for 71 days. And when she was leaving, had to pack up everything she was going to need for the duration of that whole trip. So all of her food, her clothes, everything. And while she was on the trip, she started to have some realisations and began to think about like how she was rationing out everything she had and kind of started to compare it to our world and how like the supply of everything in the world is limited as well, but that that's not actually the way we're operating in society today. Um, and then she, yeah, there's this idea called the linear economy, which is the opposite to what Matthew just described, um, which is 
how the world really operates right now is like it's called take make waste so if we take the we take something for, from the environment say to make the t-shirt for example you take the cotton produce the t-shirt and make it and then as soon as you're finished with it it just you throw it out it goes to landfill and then you buy a new t-shirt when you're finished with it um, so yeah Ellen began to like compare this idea to how she was actually living on her yacht on her own rationing out her food and then when she came back it was five years it wasn't until five years after actually that she actually set up the foundation but yeah spent a lot of time working with other people who were in like the sustainability and environmental space and then yeah set up this foundation with with the aim of accelerating the global transition to the circular economy so yeah really scaling that up onto a worldwide level was the very ambitious aim and 10 years or 11 years later we're still working on that so we work with a lot of businesses and policymakers and really like yeah just trying to help them actually embed these practices into what they're doing during the day um so yeah if I think of some examples like I know we talked about the cities so um yeah like working with city councils to embed the practices we work with plastic so like we work with a lot of big companies like Pepsi and Nestle Coke and obviously they're like some of the big biggest polluters on the planet so it's really trying to get them to change their ways because if we want to make a difference we need to go to the top and yeah need to go to the places where there actually is the most power because like me taking my refillable water bottle or my like reusable cup is great but that on its own isn't going to make all the difference so that's really the idea is like targeting what we call it upstream so like going from going to the very top rather than like targeting individuals on their own. So how well would you say the whole targeting upstream strategy is going so far? Like how you, are you finding that the various in the various groups that you are working with do you think that they are on board with the idea or are you meeting some resistance or Yeah, I think but going that's a really good question. Going from the way that these companies were previously working like it is a huge mindset sh- shift and a huge change so definitely takes a lot of time and like changes in operations to actually make it physically and economically possible um so i wouldn't say resistance but it's definitely something that's taken time but over the last 11 years like the foundation has made leaps and bounds and actually like yeah getting some of the biggest companies in the world on board and like actually endorsing this concept um so yeah that in itself is like really important because it's kind of as i said that's where we're going to make the difference what is the concept of the company like so the circular economy is based on three principles so the first one is eliminating and that doesn't mean it's eliminate waste but it doesn't mean like getting rid of waste it means eliminating it in the design of a product so if we take Matthew's example of the t-shirt when that's being manufactured 
we want designers and companies to actually design that t-shirt so that it's not going to go to waste, if that makes sense. So designing it to be reusable so that if, for example, you get a hole in it that maybe the company has a take back scheme and they'll take it back and repair it for you and then you use it again rather than like using it a couple of times and then disposing of it. So that's the first principle is eliminate. Then the second one is circulate, which I think is a bit more self-explanatory, just keeping everything in that one closed loop system. Um, So like the plastic bottle, for example, if, well, actually, no, that's not a good example. <laughs> we'll take we'll take the T-shirt again. Um, like I said, with, yeah, re- repairing it, or I'll talk a bit more about the my business later, but that's the Circulate one is what really what we focus on is like taking a piece of furniture and upcycling it so that it can be used again and again. And then the third principle is regenerating nature. So kind of similar to what I mentioned about how Ellen had this epiphany about how the world works and how that's so different to how our society operates. Um, like if you think about the, a leaf falls from the tree and feeds the whole forest, the you know the natural world actually is circular circular already, um, but society isn't. So it's like, what can we do to actually regenerate nature? So if that's like. Um, instead of killing our soils with like pesticides and harmful like fertilizers we instead like feed them so that they can like uh, thrive and flourish and then by having these healthy soils that produce healthy foods then they can absorb carbon and that helps the whole climate crisis as well. What would a day in your job be like? So I work from a mixture between from home and in the office in London. So I probably go into the office three days a week and then work from home two days. Um, But I'm working specifically in the marketing and communication side and on specifically on policy and plastics. So it's really about getting the messages across about the work that we're doing in both of those areas. Um, so yeah, the day is mainly on a computer or in meetings, so it's not that exciting, but the actual content itself is pretty interesting. Um, you mentioned an office in London. Is there no Irish office to go to? No, we're not actually set up in Ireland yet. So it started on the Isle of Wight, which I don't have. Has anyone ever heard of the Isle of Wight? Yeah. So I lived there for the first six months that I worked with the foundation because that's where the main office is it was set up there because of the Ellen's sailing and it's a big like sailing destination um, so yeah they just have the London and Isle of Wight office in the UK there's one in China one in Brazil New York and Belgium Do you think it would be good for there to be an office in Ireland as well or do you think that the UK one suffices? Yeah it would be great um, they were looking into potentially like doing some work with Dublin City Council before but because we're still so small and growing it's hard like selling setting up another office is a huge deal so right now I think is a very kind of phase of just ironing things out in the places where we already have a presence and then maybe I don't know in the future if we'll 
look to expand beyond that. But certainly I would love if there was one in Ireland. I think it would be great. So uh, your business is really interesting. Can you tell us a bit about it? Sure. So it's called Refunk and it's a furniture upcycling platform. So what we do is connect people who want to have their furniture upcycled with our community of upcyclers who will carry out the job for them. Um, So we set it up during my master's nearly three years ago now and it, it started out pretty differently. We were basically... The masters we were doing was very international. There was a lot of students from all around the world who moved over to Dublin like just for the year. And we saw with the way in which they were furnishing their flats and apartments, they were just going straight to IKEA, getting something cheap that would do them for the year and then getting rid of that at the end of the year. And we started thinking like, surely this isn't the most sustainable or environmentally environmentally friendly way to do things Um, and we had entered this sustainability hackathon so it's like this competition where you have to come up with a business idea we had entered that and this whole thing about the furniture just really sprung to mind over that weekend and yeah we started to think like what could we actually do to make a change in the furniture industry because in the fashion industry there's already I don't know if people have heard of some of like the rental platforms that are already there. There's like a lot of change started to be made like a good few years ago, but there was nothing really happening in furniture. So we wanted to kind of emulate that success. And yeah, just took it from there. And it really just focuses on the circular economy as well. And like, you know, keeping the furniture in one system, using art and design to help that and yeah making sure that as little furniture as possible ends up in landfill. Could you go into detail a bit about how one upcycles furniture? Sure I can. (laughs) Um, So I don't do the upcycling so it's myself and three other co-founders we don't do the upcycling ourselves but when we started to get into this we realised there's a huge community of upcyclers actually in Ireland but they're typically like middle-aged women who don't really know how to use uh, technology or like how to market themselves and they might not have the confidence you know to set up a website or Instagram account to actually get themselves out there so we realized there was like a real untapped opportunity there um so they're they're the ones who do all the upcycling but so I don't have the specifics but it's just basically taking a piece of furniture the customer tells them what exactly they want done to it so say I have my old kitchen chair at home and I want to want to paint it blue with some yellow flowers on it I'll go to the upcycler give them that brief they'll sand it down, check if there's woodworm, give it some varnish, painting, and yeah, then transform it into a new and beautiful product. So are people are interested in that business? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think in this day and age, it is obviously with kind of what I mentioned about the stuff and work, but um, even though we're becoming a lot more environmentally aware, it is a huge like behavior change to go from buying your furniture brand new to then having it upcycled um but what we found is there's a lot of people who maybe sentimentality is a huge thing like 
you might have an old piece of furniture that's been passed down through generations that you don't want to let go let go of and upcycling is really the only way to keep it there if you want it to like fit in with the aesthetic of your home and yeah I think in so that's just kind of one example but I think in general people are becoming a lot more open-minded to this way of thinking but then in a way I think it's how people actually used to operate back in my like grandparents day and people were a lot thriftier and more resourceful and it, it was probably like in the last 50 years or so that that changed so it's kind of like going back to the old way of yeah really like appreciating craft and appreciating the things you have so yeah I think people are like pretty open to it. Do you have any end goal in mind for Refunk? Um, yeah, so we'd love to make we'd love to make it the the go to place for upcycling furniture. Obviously, we would love if it was bought by a big business where, like, like Facebook Marketplace, for example, where you go to for your secondhand furniture. If we could get it as a plug in on a website like that, that would be great. But yeah, it's really the the main goal is really like making upcycling mainstream and then avoiding sending your furniture to landfill. Do you have any favourite item? Um, Yeah, so we were lucky enough in the early days to get our hands on some old furniture that was being thrown away from old professors' apartments on the campus in Trinity. And they had some, yeah, beautiful mid-century stuff. So I got one of the upcyclers to upcycle a desk for me and it was yeah this like beautiful a huge like probably almost the size of this table um with three drawers on either side like uh what do you call it like a thing to pull out a writing table and yeah they just they didn't even do that much to it to be honest just like gave it a bit of a new lease of life repaired it and a little bit of paint on the drawers and yeah I think probably is my favourite one. I think as well, the story behind it is really important and I really like the idea that this was, you know, sitting in a professor's flat for years and it's now been brought to life again. Do you currently have, I suppose, I don't know how to phrase it, are you affiliated with enough upcyclers to meet demand at the minute or do you think that you may need to start, I suppose, recruiting more upcyclers in the future? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Right now we have over 100 on board in Ireland, nearly, I think like nearly 140, um, which is enough to meet demand. But we definitely, I think, want to grow the two sides of the marketplace, so like the upcyclers and the customers hand in hand. So we're happy with that number until then the demand starts to grow more and then we need to increase it again. So when you were talking about your work with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation to, and targeting some of the bigger companies like Coke and Pepsi, yeah, are you looking at doing something similar like that with Refunk? I heard you mentioning, you know, when you were doing your research project, you know, the, the bigger furniture manufacturers. Would you ever consider doing something like that yourself? Yeah, I think we'd, we'd really love to because, you know, they have the consumer base there. They've built up that kind of yeah that base of consumers so that they can really have the most impact and it's a bit more difficult to go out as a startup um trying to promote yourself from the ground so I think to get in with a bigger player you can kind of piggyback off their marketing and stuff in a way 
When it comes to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, would smaller businesses be able to get into contact with it in order to, I suppose, turn their processes more towards the circular economy? Yeah, they can. We take businesses of all sizes and there's actually a new startup program as well. So taking on, yeah, like the smallest businesses there are and really helping them embed the circular economy into what they do. Some of them might already be circular, but then it's helping them kind of build on that and improve those practices as well. So, yeah, it's really open to businesses of all size. And if one wanted to get into contact with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation or Refunk, where would they have to go? The Ellen MacArthur Foundation, you can go on their website. It's um, just ellenmacarthurfoundation.org, I think. And with Refunk, Instagram, our website, me, <laughs> whatever you want. Do you think it is making much of a difference? Yeah, so with each... A piece of furniture diverted from landfill that saves over 30 kilograms of CO2 equivalent. And the the process in general of, you know, stopping the manufacturing and production of a piece of furniture because we're reusing something else. Um, yeah, that in itself has a huge impact on carbon emissions and, yeah, it can really help with the climate crisis. Um, I'd just like to ask, Anna, uh, you know, we're here sitting around with some amazing young people. How do you think that we can actually get the message out there better? How can we educate people more around, you know, recycling, circular economy, everything really? Because I'm not quite sure if enough of people know about it. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, programs like this are an amazing start, an amazing opportunity for young people to learn. Um, I think getting it actually into the education system, like whether it's in school, having sustainability or circular economy as a school subject. Um, yeah, to really educate young people on environmental issues. Um, it's great to see now in universities that there are courses that, specifying that which I think wasn't even there when I was in university which is like four years ago um so yeah I think getting it into the education system but then also just like making sure we're having these conversations at home talking to your friends about it I think that's one thing with climate is that people it's it's still not really the norm at the dinner table to talk about um and I don't know if people fully even understand like what's happening in the world right now with all the fires and like the heat waves in Europe, like how that's actually linked to what we, how we treat the world. Um, so yeah, I think it's just really important to talk to as many people as you can about it and spread the word. Wow, listening to Anna really makes you think what ways you can reuse the stuff you already have. And that will make us all one step closer to saving the planet. Now, although they were busy bees today, we're still going to give the group homework. But before we do, let's check in with Trish for this week's Climate Curiosities. Climate Curiosities, exploring the wonders of our changing world. Did you know that recycling one aluminum can can save enough energy to power a TV for three hours? Recycling helps reduce the energy and resources needed to make new products. When we recycle, we're being superheroes for the planet, helping to keep it clean and green. Climate Curiosities, exploring the wonders of our changing world. 
Thanks, Trish. Now, what homework have we in store for this week? Okay, so after some fascinating conversations around the circular economy, um, our homework for next week is for you guys to identify three simple things that you and your family can do to make Ireland's transition to the circular economy happen quicker and with greater urgency. And that just about wraps us up for this week. And boy, oh boy, did we squeeze every bit of fun that we could have into today's episode. Thank you for tuning our way. You can join us at the same time at the same place next week when we will be looking at the six steps to success when it comes to climate change. Chat then. You've been listening to a journey through the climate crisis on KCLR. To hear this episode again and more, download the KCLR app. A journey through the climate crisis is funded by Commissioner Man with a television license fee.